Today's program is brought to you by Ad Passion and Stir, Big Chefs, Big Ideas, the new podcast from the anti-hunger organization Share Our Strength. Listen at strength.org slash passion. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. We're a member-supported food radio network broadcasting over 35 weekly shows live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. Join our hosts as they lead you through the world of craft brewing, behind the scenes of the restaurant industry, inside the battle over school food, and beyond. Find us at heritageradionetwork.org. You're listening to Feast Meets West, the show where we tell the story behind your favorite Asian dishes. I'm Linda Liu, and on the line is my co-host in Hong Kong, Iris Van Kirkhove. Hi, guys. We are broadcasting live from Heritage Radio Network at Roberta's Pizza in Bushwick. Every episode, Iris and I dig deep on an Asian food dish. We trace its history how it traveled to the West, and we interview industry experts on that topic. And since I'm located here in Hong Kong, one of the major food capitals of Asia, I cover the Asian perspective and talk about the food scene out here on every episode. So Linda is usually in the studio with our guests, but today we're switching things up as our guest is also on the line. Makes me kind of sad, but also makes me kind of want to laugh thinking about Linda in the studio all by herself. Are you okay there? (laughs) I'm hanging in here, yeah. (laughs) But we're super excited to have Andrea Nguyen on the show today to talk about the well-loved and super iconic Vietnamese noodle dish, pho. Yes, we're super honored to have Andrea on the show with us. So for those who aren't familiar with Andrea, she's a writer as well as a teacher and consultant and one of the leading voices in current media on Vietnamese cuisine. She's written a number of acclaimed cookbooks, including Into the Vietnamese Kitchen, Asian Dumplings, and the Bun Mi Handbook. Her writing has also appeared in the Wall Street Journal, Cooking Light, Rodale's Organic Life, as well as one of our favorites, Lucky Peach. She's located in Cali, which is why she's calling in today. She also just came out with a new book this week. It's called The Pho Cookbook. Very timely, with over 50 pho and pho-inspired recipes. Welcome to the show, Andrea. Hi, thanks for having me on, you two. So usually at the beginning of each episode, I talk a little bit about what our topic is where it comes from, a bit about the history, but since we have an expert on pho who has done way more research than I could possibly ever do, we're going to let Andrea tell us more about this dish. So, Andrea, for people who don't know what pho is, how would you define the dish? Well, pho is like the national dish of Vietnam. 
and Vietnam's a little country in Southeast Asia, sort of, you know, not far, too far away from where you are, Iris, Hong Kong. And um, pho consists of really fragrant um, broth that's oftentimes spiced with star anise and cinnamon and cloves and coriander, as well as ginger and onion or shallot. And um, then there's rice noodles in there. And then you have um, a little protein. Oftentimes it's beef, sometimes it's chicken. It can also be vegetarian, even seafood, to tell you the truth. And you can add it, um, you know, can add all kinds of different condiments to it. It's like the ultimate have-it-your-way dish. <laughs> and so can you tell us a bit about your cultural roots? How did you come to write about Vietnamese cuisine? Sure. Um, I was born in Saigon, and um, I got hooked on the soup really early on when I was about five years old, and we still live there. And I just was able to, you know, really, with a lot of determination, work my way to the bottom of a bowl all by myself with chopsticks and, and fork in my hands. And I knew that, I think my parents knew that they had a problem, but they were very proud. Um, I was chubby, too. But I, it was Aww. really great because, you know, that was like the, this food that I just absolutely fell for as a kid. And so for people out there with children, you know, noodle soup is a fabulous way to start them on eating um, really great flavors and it's light. Um, and then my family, um, because of the Vietnam um, conflict. In 1975, we um, fled Vietnam and came to the United States. So pho then became like a way for us to really savor our cultural roots. And since we couldn't have it um, out so easily anymore, we ended up making it. And I learned from my mother and um, then, you know, did a lot of research and through my writing have, have come to amass like this bizarre amount of wealth about the National Soup of Vietnam. Right. Thank you so much for sharing your story. Uh, so what led you to write the pho, the pho cookbook? Well, you know, um, I had been cooking and eating pho for decades, and um, people kept telling me, you know what, you should, like, write a cookbook. And I was like, what is there to say about pho? You know, I've written, the rest, I've written a beef and a chicken recipe, so that's, like, about it. But um, people just kept, you know, over the years, like, telling me you ought to write a book about it, and we think you can. And my publisher said that, as well as some of my friends and my Facebook fans. And um, so I started looking into the history of pho, and I discovered that pho has, like, this amazing, amazing, rich, rich history that includes, you know, protest and poetry and espionage, along with, you know, this evolution of this food that started out as like totally, you know, worker street food, and then it became um, this food that's enjoyed by everyone, and then also um, a food that's been carried with refugees and immigrants to all different parts of the world. So it's become like this global food, and, and it's not an old food. People think it's old, but it actually is just a little bit more than 100 years old. Hmm. Can you tell us a little bit about this very rich history? Um, I know there's probably a lot there, so maybe an abbreviated version. Sure. Um, well, it's, it's the, the history of pho is kind of like, it's like, 
as murky as like bad faux broth. No one is a hundred percent sure exactly who and where um, it came from. But what we do know is that it developed um, around Hanoi, which is in the northern part of Vietnam, so close to the Chinese um, uh, border there. And at that time, the Vietnam was under the control of the French, so French colonialism. And the French took to slaughtering cows, which were traditionally draft animals for the Vietnamese. And the Vietnamese weren't used to eating cows. They, you know, they were used to like using cows as like transportation and to work the fields. Um, but they all of a sudden had scraps and bones and different, you know, rough cuts and um, some very, very resourceful uh, street food vendors who were already making a um, water buffalo-based noodle soup were, you know, they were like, hey, we got this sale on beef, so let's use it for something. So they swapped the um, beef, you know, the water buffalo for the beef and, and started tinkering with the noodle soup. And it became very, very popular at the, at the front part of its history with um, people who worked on the Red River. So a lot of really, like, you know, um, blue-collar workers. And then as Hanoi developed under colonialism as this urban area, so developed um, and spread throughout the capital of Vietnam. So, you know, it started out as a very humble thing, and it's always had like this, this, this characteristic of being like a food for everybody in Vietnam. So regardless right. of what, you know, um, economic, uh, social background, everyone ends up, you know, sharing pho at a little pho joint. And it's not a food that's, you know, of like white tablecloths, per se. And um, so it's always had like this very democratic um, aspect to it, which is why I think it's really cool that nowadays so many people are interested in eating pho all over the world and, you know, in America and also trying their hand at making it. Oh, that's super interesting. So you've described a typical dish of pho. What are some of the different regional variations we might want to know about, or even, you know, any U.S. or other international variations? Sure. So, you know, everybody, like, starts out thinking pho is, like, a beefy thing. And even when I started, you know, when I started working on my book um, and I started just you know, see engaging where people were at, and it was like, why, it's a beef dish. And when I looked at the history of, of uh, it was, a, a chicken pho came about around 1939, in the late ni- 1930s. So, so pho became really popular. And what happened was there were then all of a sudden like too many draft animals being slaughtered to make pho. And so the story is that the Hanoi government forbade the um, the slaughtering or the selling of, of cows on certain days of the week. And so the um, pho vendor said, aha, well, we'll use chicken instead. And so when chicken pho came about, people were like, well, that's not pho because it's got to be beef. And... Um, you know, after a while, they were like, well, this is pretty good. And so chicken pho came up, stuck around, and people actually became to specialize in it. And then there were pho dishes that um, were not noodle soup either. So then, you know, 
foe by name is um, based upon the Chinese word for flat rice noodle fun. And so it's not just a noodle soup, it's actually the noodle itself. So around 19, you know, around the 1930s, not only was there like chicken pho, but then all of a sudden people started pan frying and stir frying pho into like Chinese style dishes and like um, chow fun. And so that also, like if you look on a Vietnamese menu, that is also considered a pho dish. Um, and then more recently, um, like in the U.S., I've seen things like pho dip sandwiches, so like a pho take on a beef dip sandwich, and I've seen like um, a farito, so a pho burrito, which oh, I was man. totally skeptical about. And I went to the, the shop in um, L.A., and I tried it, and it worked. The guy, you know, like he did it, and it, it you know, you taste all the pho elements and stuff, and it actually reminded me of uh, a Singaporean uh, street dish called popia and um, which is wrapped in like a thin um, uh, sort of like a very very thin like a mushu wrapper kind of thing so you know you can kind of right. see the relationship and then I think someone in, in Brooklyn is making like pho soup dumplings they're called fumplings oh my god <laughs> uh, I'm gonna look that up and try it this weekend <laughs> yeah so it sounds like the sort of two main types are beef and chicken pho. How would you say um, they differ? Like, what are the different proper properties to a beef pho versus a chicken pho? Sure. There are a lot of people out there who say, well, you know, the spicing is the same. But um, I grew up learning that the spices for um, beef pho and chicken pho are only the same to the extent that there's they're the same aromatics used, so you've got your ginger and you've got your onion or shallot. In Vietnam, they use more shallot than onion because it's more affordable than yellow onion. Um, and the shallots in Vietnam are very small. So, you know, for um, us, we Americans who like to cook, cook conveniently, um, it, you know, use a larger shallot. In the book, I say, huge one, huge shallots, please. Because otherwise, you'll just be um, sweating it a little bit too much. Anyway, so the aromatics are pretty much the same. Um, and, but the spices are different because beef is a different animal, obviously, than chicken. And beef can handle um, bigger spices, like a lot more star anise and cinnamon and clove. And, and then in the northern part of the country, they favor um, Chinese black cardamom, which has like this interesting um, medicinal quality that also is very alluring. So when I grew up, my mother's um, pho, chicken pho broth um, was different than the beef one that she made. And she was like, no, this is how I learned to make it. And you use a lot of fresh cilantro and as well as coriander seeds and um, a few cloves. And it was just, you know, the most ethereal, wonderful chicken noodle soup for me. And um, when I went to Vietnam, and I've been to Vietnam several, many times over the course of the years. But recently, in 2015, I went specifically back to look at pho. And I tasted the chicken pho that was being made in Hanoi, and it tasted just like my mother's. So then I had to go home and tell her she was right all along. <laughs> 
everyone hates doing that, right? <laughs> exactly, exactly. And then she was like totally vindicated and happy. <laughs> and so, why did you decide to put the chicken file on the cover of your cookbook when, when beef is sort of like the more famous one? You know, um, chicken is number one. Chicken is um, different. To tell you the truth, and we we struggled over that because I we went back and forth, and and some of my friends were like, beef, 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 and then some of my other friends were like, nope, people love chicken, you know, people love chicken, and it's comforting, and it it um, it also when we look at um, book covers, we want to make food that is appealing to a lot of people. And um, so I said, okay, let, at the end, let's choose the quick chicken pho, which is like, you know, it takes you at the most 40 minutes to make, and it's really satisfying, and it's really super-duper tasty. And it's totally like a gateway a recipe uh, for pho that, that I feel like, you know, people can start there, and it's the first recipe in the book, and then they're going to have that confidence to move on to master like different kinds of fuzz and different kinds of techniques. Because my goal as a as a cookbook writer is always to invite people in and then offer many different like avenues depending on your your um, time availability, your you know, ingredient availability. So with that recipe, like you can get everything at the regular supermarket. And, um, you know, it doesn't take that long, and it tastes good. Um, and then, you know, after that, maybe you're going to step up and, you know, use a pressure cooker, or maybe one day you'll, like, brew something in a stock pot for hours. But, you know, there's something in that, in the pho cookbook for everybody. Cool. All right, so we're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back with Andrea to talk more about pho. and stir big chefs big ideas the new podcast from the anti-hunger organization share our strength brings together your favorite chefs and amazing social innovators to discuss how food impacts almost every major issue you care about your health your environment and your children's ability to learn uplifting stories from chefs like michelin star winner jose andres people want our respect People don't want our dirty shoes and our old pens. People want us to show up and show them that they really matter to us. And Top Chef winner, Brian Voltaggio. Hunger has many different faces. You can walk down the street every day and see children playing in the playground. They're hungry. They don't know where they're going to get their next meal. They don't know if they're going to have dinner. Can be heard at strength.org passion. You can help change the world by changing the way we think about food. Listen at strength.org passion. That's strength.org slash passion. Welcome back. You're listening to Feast Meets West, and we're chatting with cookbook author Andrea Nguyen. Um, she recently wrote the book, Cookbook, 
Um, so we were just talking about, you know, some of her quick chicken recipes. Andrea, so we're curious to hear about, you know, how you like to personally cook your pho. Do you have a particular style? Um, and also, um, I know uh, you had grown up with some like northern Vietnamese influences and how that's like different from how like um, the U.S. loads up their pho dishes with a ton of condiments. So curious to hear your take. Right. Well, there's like if you talk to diehard pho fans, um, you, you know, there's like this regional pho fight. And, you know, when you, like, start writing about pho, there are all of these, like, alliterations and puns. So, you know, it's like, it's phenomenal, so fantastic. <laughs> yes. But um, anyway, the regional pho fight is, um, is, is fascinating to me because so pho started in northern Vietnam, like I described earlier. And my parents are both northern Vietnamese. Um, but they migrated um, in 1954 when the country split in half. They both um, ended up in southern Vietnam, in Saigon. And um, so we were, all my siblings and I were born in Saigon. And so my parents have also this southern perspective. So northern pho is very simple in the sense that it's very pure and it's very elegant. It's served in kind of moderate portions. So you would probably figure that that would, in Hanoi, if you were to go to Hanoi, your, your bowl of pho would be um, a small or extra small size that, you know, in the United States. Mm -hmm. So, uh, 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 and then you wouldn't get, like, the dish of produce. There's no platter of bean sprouts, and there's, like, no hedgerow of fresh herbs, you know, or a bunch of limes, and Mm -hmm. there there would be no hoisin or sriracha. Mm -hmm. Because the northerners think that, here's my soup, I spent hours preparing it, and don't you dare squirt something into it (laughs) that's going to, like, discolor it. (laughs) And maybe you'll get, like, some mint. Yeah. And so the northerners will, like, talk about southern Vietnamese um, pho, and they'll say, oh, my gosh, they put all of that foreign, weird produce into it. And it's so sweet because southern Vietnamese food um, is a little more tropical. They like to put um, some a little sugar in there by way of Chinese rock sugar. Mm. So the, you get down to the south, and the southerners will say, oh, my God, the, the northern pho is so bland. And it, they're so meager with their portions. And so there's, and they go, you know, and it's like they're always so strict about everything. We want to live large. We want to have freedom, and we want to be progressive in how we eat our pho. So just let it have it. So, so we're really, like, into, like, the have it your way mm-hmm. kind of pho. And so the pho that we get here in the United States when you go out is very much influenced by the southern Vietnamese version of pho. Mm-hmm. Larger portions, you know, they always bring that plate of garnishes out. Um, and when I was growing up, it was northern style, which means we never got bean sprouts. My mother would not let sriracha um, into the house because, number one, she said that's not a Vietnamese ingredient. <laughs> She's like, it looks, I've never seen that in Vietnam. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> My brother-in-law, who's Vietnamese, really likes it, and she would just begrudgingly, like, you know, like, have some in the house. But she'd be like, no, you don't put that in your phone. You get fresh chili slices, and we would go out in the yard, and we would pick some mint. Mm-hmm. No limes. She's like, do not screw up my broth. And so <laughs> I had, like, a strict 
you know, perspective, a very northern perspective to fa. So, um, so you know, when we go out for fa, and I even I kind of like wince when people pick up the shiracha and the hoisin, they squirt it into the bowl, because I'm like, uh-huh. oh my gosh, it's like putting ketchup into chicken noodle you're, soup to me. You're your mother's daughter. <laughs> she raised you all. I know, <laughs> I know. She's so proud now. <laughs> yeah, you had mentioned earlier also that... Um, you know, bad pho broth is murky. So is that, you know, typically uh, the case? Well, the um, a murky broth results from it boiling too much when it's cooking. Mm-hmm. And, um, and sometimes when you go to a pho shop and the um, maybe at the tail end of service and they've been boiling stuff up too much or they've been setting up the the broth. If it looks like dishwater, like murky, cloudy, that is no bueno mm-hmm. in my book. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I've eaten a lot of pho that way, even at some of my favorite pho shops. And and I just go, oh, man, this is like a bad pho day. Oh. But, at, but at home, you can totally control that because you're a small batch in it. And in the book, I have methods for um, cooking up the broth and straining it so that it's really, like, clear. But one of the things that I want to impress upon um, eaters and, and cooks is that fat in pho is really good because a lot of the flavor of the pho broth is carried in the fat. So when I eat a good bowl of pho, when I walk away from the table, I want to taste some of that fatty, the richness of the broth on my lips. Mm-hmm. Yum. And so uh, that sounds uh, really delicious. <laughs> um, in Vietnam... Uh, how do you? How would you say that people eat it? I mean, we already touched on that. Perhaps the dishes are slightly smaller. Um, I also read in your cookbook that it's you know primarily a breakfast food, perhaps. And um, you know, in one of your experiences in Vietnam, you were seeking out pho in one of the like OG cities where it originated, and it was sold out as early as like nine or eight in the morning. Right, and so pho is traditionally a morning a morning thing, and um, in a hot place like um, Saigon, where the, the weather is basically hot or hotter, okay, <laughs> there's, there's like no cold. You want to eat pho um, in the morning because mm-hmm. it's you know it's cooler then, and um, it also kind of cools you down. There's like been some scientific research about like eating hot bras and in hot weather, and it apparently like helps you adjust better to um, high temperatures. And um, I'm gonna so, have to you know, play go this out for art back to my coworker because we argue about this all the time. When it's hot, I always drink hot water, and he thinks I'm insane. <laughs> right, right. And, you know, it, it totally works. And, and someone told me recently that his mother told him the same thing, and he, like, looked into this research, and he's like, totally, it, it works. So, you know, in, in Vietnam, like, you start off in the morning with, like, maybe a hot cup of coffee and condensed milk and a bowl of pho, and then you have, like, a chaser of tea because you want to kind of have a palate cleanser. And um, pho shops make, you know, their batch each day, and then they'll serve it until they run out. If you're in, like, a big city like Saigon, there are pho shops that operate all the time. So you can have pho at, in the morning, noon, or at night. But when you're in, like, Hanoi or in smaller cities, it's mostly a breakfast thing, and then sometimes a pho shop will reopen at night. Mm-hmm. 
And then there are like certain faux dishes that I discovered, like this um, Hanoi um, faux, like it's a chicken faux noodle salad. And it's like a nighttime faux dish that serves like on the sidewalks and young people go out for it. It's like millennials on sidewalks and they're on dates and stuff. Oh, it's really cool. cool. And you're like eating in the dark, basically. <laughs> there are like no street lights. And, but everyone's eating like the same dish and you're yeah. drinking beer. And it's like totally fun. Oh, that's cool. And it's nice to hear how pho is evolving still in Vietnam. Totally. And, and they're like doing stuff like I had deep fried pho, you know, and I was like, what the hell is that? And, and they had batter fried the noodles and then they made the stir fry and put it on top. It was absolutely delicious. But it was in this part of Hanoi that is very, um, it's like more for, for where people go and hang out in the evening, like people on dates or their friends or to go there and hang out. It's not for like older people. Because I talked to some of my cousins and they're like, they're in their, like, their 50s. They're like, no, we don't go there. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so I'm like, I go there. It's fun. That's awesome. Um, so now just like bringing the conversation of first popularity here to the U.S., I'm actually just going to share some 2016 um, Google food trend stats that Andrea um, pointed me to. So we found that, um, so the fame of pho has actually increased every year for the past decade with the pace quickening since 2013 and total searches over the past three years have been rising 11% on a year over year basis. So, um, you know, there's a huge appetite for this kind of food and consumers are like doing their searches and seeking help in terms of like how to make it and you know what are restaurants near me that serve this dish so like andrea this is where your book comes in you know there's actually a data-driven opportunity to like help the audience with their understanding and like their own diy construction of uh... exactly you know and people have been exploring this food because you know it's, it's most it's basically gluten-free food it's a food that you can customize and personalize and um, people want to eat it out. They want to make it at home. They want to get takeout. Um, and, you know, they uh, it's weird. I mean, there, we have so many noodle soups in, in Asia. And, um, you know, first you know, there, people are into ramen, and now they're like, we want to try something else. And so it's now pho. And, um, you know, maybe it'll be khao soy from Thailand next. I don't know. Or, you know, something from China, like, you know, a different beef noodle soup. But I think that it's really, really awesome because it's inviting more people into the kitchen and to the table of, of Asian cuisines. Mm-hmm, for sure. And we love the fact that your book kind of eases the new audience into it as well, step by step. So definitely a good, good take on that. Um, in terms of why it's popular, we touched on so many things. Um, so it tastes good. It has um, its health properties. Um, it's, it's lighter than ramen. Um, it has the clear broth. It's warming. It's gluten-free. Um, like you said, Andrea, it's customizable. You can actually make it at home. You shouldn't be intimidated. And you get to call the shots on the protein and the toppings and condiments to use. Correct. You know, and there's even vegetarian foe. You know, I mean, like, people also scoffed at me. They scoffed at the chicken, and then and they're like, vegetarian pho is just, like, 
you know, that's no way. I would never touch that. And it's like, Vietnam's a country, you know, with a ton of Buddhists, too. <laughs> yeah. What are they eating? <laughs> <laughs> So, you know, and there, I've been to Buddhist restaurants, and they have a Buddhist version of pho. So, that, like I said to myself, you know, this is great. So I came up with many different versions of, you know, um, vegetarian pho recipes, as well as pepper the book with um, other vegetarian meatless, you know, dishes. And so I hope that that everyone, you know, regardless of dietary needs or backgrounds, you know, gets into pho. And, and at the end of the, the day, and I'm going to be subversive and be very open about it, it's about really exploring Vietnamese culture. And, I, and that's why I do what I do in my work, um, is that food is a great lens for you to digest and explore another, um, you know, culture. And sometimes that, other, that, that culture actually wouldn't be another. It's your own. And, and that's, been my work as well yeah that's that's really great um it's it seems like such a um humble dish but it has the rich history um it has its different iterations it's still evolving um and it just like speaks back to the the feisty nature of the vietnamese people <laughs> yeah that's so true it proved itself during the vietnam war right <laughs> And so, yeah, the, and Vietnamese people, are, we're always kind of like, you know, having our, our faux fights. But then at the end mm-hmm. of the day, we all line up and we say, pho's the best. Yeah, it's a food that unites all at the end of the day, for sure. Exactly. So um, what's next for pho? Do you think um, it's going to become the next ramen here in the U.S.? You know, I, I, there, I don't really know. What's interesting is that they're, um, they've kind of evolved very similarly. So um, I see, like, pho kits um, in the supermarket. I've seen, like, pho broth sold in um, plastic bags. My father, just the other day, my dad's, like, 86, but he's online all the time, so he forwarded a Campbell's soup-like box container of faux broth. What? <laughs> I know. That's I new? Know. He's like, look at this. <laughs> and so I think that it's, I mean, you know, Campbell's soup for crying out loud. Yeah. You know? The and most I, so American I think of that it's, it's going to become very, um, like, a staple food um, for a lot of people. That's awesome. Um, yeah, definitely look forward to that. Um, so now that you've covered um, so many like major um, Asian dishes, very iconic dishes, so we talked about pho, and then you've written cookbooks on dumplings and banh mi. What's next on your agenda? I really don't know. I mean, you know, it's... Um I, yeah, I've written about dumplings and banh mi, and um, I wrote a book on tofu, oh, and then right. now it's pho, and I think that I'm, I'm, I need to take a break from single subjects, you know, that's <laughs> what we call it in the industry, it's like, what am I going to write about next, salt and pepper, you know, <laughs> I mean, I never thought I could write, you know, a book about one noodle soup, um, but I did, and I found it really interesting, and I think a lot of other people do too, but um, I'm still kind of settling down to figure out what I do next, but I, I think it's not going to be a single subject. I just need a, a little break because mm-hmm. it's, all, it's all about the obsession. For sure. Um, yeah, you deserve a break, and the book just came out this week. <laughs> so uh, definitely, you know, relish in that um, and 
uh, yeah, we, we look forward to reading more about uh, different Asian foods and hearing about the larger stories and histories that tie back to the Asian people. So thank you so much for joining us on the show, Andrea. Thank you so yeah, much, thank you, ladies. Thank you, Andrea. Um, I think given how popular pho has become outside of Vietnamese communities, your work is very important because the dish has such a great story. And everyone eats pho, but no one really thinks about what it is and how it got to the, uh, the bowl in front of them. Um, that, that's definitely right, Iris. So, Andrea, where can listeners get a copy of the pho cookbook and follow your work online? We, they can just visit my website, vietworldkitchen.com. Um, and the book is available everywhere books are sold. So, you know, <laughs> look online. Amazon has it. Your local bookstore does. I know, like in New York, um, Kitchen Arts and Letters, um, I'm a huge fan of theirs, carries it. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I'm super excited to cook from it as well. So thank you, listeners, for tuning in. Uh, make sure you grab a copy of the Faux Cookbook and follow Andrea online to learn more about Vietnamese food. Um, Andrea has also very generously shared one of her recipes with Feast Meets West. Um, she talked about it earlier, the quick chicken pho recipe, which is on the cover of the cookbook. So head on over to feastmeetswest.com later this week to check out the episode's show notes, as well as this pho recipe. Otherwise, we'll catch you next Wednesday night, 8 p.m. Eastern Standard Time on Heritage Radio Network. And we'll be back with more awesome guests from the world of Asian food. listening to heritage radio network food radio supported by you for our freshest content and to hear about exclusive events subscribe to our newsletter enter your email at the bottom of our website heritageradionetwork.org connect with us on facebook instagram and twitter at heritage underscore radio heritage radio network is a non-profit organization driving conversations to make the world a better, fairer, more delicious place. And we couldn't do it without support from listeners like you. Want to be a part of the food world's most innovative community? Rate the shows you like, tell your friends, and please join our community by becoming a member. Just click on the beating heart at the top right of our homepage. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.